It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. My guest on the show today is the sales guy, Jim Keenan, mostly known as Keenan, the people that know him. He's an author, speaker, consultant, sales entrepreneur, recruiter, and dare I say even badass, as he likes to say. And you can find him online at salesguy.com. Now, Jim Keenan has written a book that we're going to talk about. And uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, brother. I so, appreciate it. So this book is called Not Taught. And basically what it's saying is, this is the playbook for success in a modern career. Not necessarily in sales, because we're not talking exclusively sales. We're talking, if you want to have a career these, these days, in current conditions, this is the new playbook. Yes. So you, so you said the rules have changed. So which ones have changed and why have they changed? And the rules for a career. And I also want to preface this by saying, this is not a book just for millennials entering the workforce. I mean, if, if, if you're not interested in understanding how the rules have changed, you could be 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old. If you don't understand how the rules have changed, and if you're not prepared to take the actions to change accordingly, then you might as well pack it up and move to Florida, right? Yeah, you're stunted. You're yeah. seriously stunted. So, I mean, so we all want to continue to improve throughout the length of our career. So we're going to talk about that. So, Jim, which rules have changed? All right. So, so before I jump into that, I, I even want to say that just using the word career in many ways um, is almost outmoded, right? Because Chris has so many um, suggestions about what it means about working for other people because the whole paradigm has been blown apart, right? But let's, we'll, we'll go with career. Um, what's changed is we've moved from the industrial age to the information age. And to a lot of people, that, that shouldn't change anything, or that's like, okay, yes, yeah, so what? How does that affect things? But it actually has massive effect on things. And what I, what I do in the book is just to set the context. Remember the last change. The last change was from an agrarian society, right, to the industrial age. Well, those people who shifted into the industrial age, what did that mean? It meant many people moved to the cities. It means they stopped working on farms. They stopped self-sustaining. And what was the most important change for career development moving from the agrarian society to the industrial age. Do you know what that was? No, tell me. Education. Education. You you didn't need to know how to read or write to make money as a farmer, right? You didn't need know how to, to you didn't have to have an education to be a successful farmer. So the society wasn't very educated, but as you moved into the industrial age, all of a sudden it changed and you had to be educated. You had to be work within a system with other people. You had to work in, in a job that was structured. You had to deal with authority. These are things that changed. The social construct changed so much that if you wanted to be successful in that space, you had to do those things. And, and the most important one was education. And that's always we started educating the masses and that changed everything. Well, and, and really, the big the big change in that regard, and a lot of people I think don't aren't really aware of this, was really after World War II. I mean, prior to World War II, up until the start, really the start of World War II, roughly about fifty percent of the U.S.'s GDP was derived from agriculture. Still at that point, right? And then the, we have this big industrial explosion that you know basically fuels our war effort, and then all these GIs come back from the war, and what's the first thing we do is we send them all to college. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. But we were already, so notice, okay, great example. You, if we were to use the old school example of um, crossing the chasm, World War II would have, been, would have been, we crossed the chasm and they were the late adopters. But to be successful in the industrial age, when it shifted, you had to have an education. So the people who left the agrarian and moved into industrial and wanted to be successful there educated themselves. They saw it coming and they changed how they went about it. And that's what this book is about because we moved from a new era. We moved from industrial age to the information age. And now those rules have changed again. For instance, and they've, they've changed because of the access of information. So for instance, let's talk about a college degree, for instance. The idea of a degree or a diploma in the industrial age was about an education, but the degree itself, that diploma, was a way to prove you had it. And, and really what it proved was it proved you had access to the information. Because before the information age, ac access to information was difficult to come by. Right? You had to have access to professors. You had to have access to the schools. If you didn't have that, it was exceedingly difficult to educate yourself. And you probably had a subpar education. Today, that's not the case. Right? So just in today, this idea, one of the things I say in my book is screw your degree. Yeah, go to college, that's fine. But the idea that you need to chase a degree, the idea that says you need to chase a diploma to be successful is quickly becoming not true and undervalued. The content, the information is valuable, right? We still need to be educated. We still need the information. But the truth of the matter is where we get it is less important every single year. Laszlo Box said it best. He's the vice president of operations at Google. He said, look, beware. Your degree is not a proxy for your ability to do any job. The world only cares about and pays off on what you can do with what you know. And it doesn't care how you learned it. Well, we really devalued the, the value of a college education because we insisted that everybody get one. I mean, back up until the 1960s, it was still, I think, only, what, 20, 25% of high school graduates maybe were going on to college. And that number has skyrocketed since then so that now we have this ridiculous situation where everybody feels they need to get one, even if they end up just being in administrative jobs. So notice what I'm saying here. I'm not saying you shouldn't get a college education. I'm going to be really clear here. What I'm saying is it's the degree, the diploma, right? So if you want to go get a college degree and you feel that that's the best way to learn and to acquire knowledge, then so be it, go. But don't go because you're going to the Ivy League school. Don't go because it's got a good name. And don't go because you say you want a master's degree. Go because there's specific knowledge that you want to acquire that will make you better at your job. So my point in, this new, in the new world is no one cares or they're caring less and less about your degree and they're caring more and more about what do you actually know. Well, precisely, right? So yes. why do we put the label on it, a college degree, right? You just need to be, you need to be educated. Yes. I yes. mean, <laughs> so, so it's not like, right, it's not like we need to have a college degree. We just need to be educated. But we did in the industrial Exactly. Industry. Yes, because it was the only way to prove it, right? The, here's the big difference. You have um, Coursera now, you have uh, edX, universities are putting all their knowledge online. Just because you have a degree doesn't necessarily mean you're the only one with access. In the industrial age, in the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, it really meant that you actually had access where someone didn't. If Andy Paul had a master's degree, you had access. If Keenan didn't, the chances of me having access were almost nil. I didn't. I couldn't get it. It was too hard. 
So it meant something. The degree was proof positive that you had the access, and therefore we assumed you, you retained it. Now I can find somebody who has just as much information, had just as much access to it without the degree. So people are saying, well, wait a minute, I don't need this as a proxy, as Lazlo says anymore. I want to know what you know. And that's what that chapter is about. Right. So here's an interesting question, because I think this sort of speaks to a harder matter. If, if you're a young person, let's say, or even you're established in your career, you want to learn something new. But a young person coming into college, taking what Laszlo Bach said as sort of a, you know, a foundational statement, right? I don't care where you learned, I want to know what you know. Is how, do they, how do they decide what to learn? What do they want to do? Well, that's the thing. Is, you know, a lot of kids going to college, they don't know what they want to do. So in this information age, how did, what's, what's the best way for them to sort of pick and choose the way to become educated in a way that will most benefit them going forward? So that's a great question. And I don't really address that in the book because I think there's a lot of things that go into that that is really personal, right? So what I do instead is say, regardless of what you want to learn, ask yourself, what's the best way to learn it for you? Don't feel penned in. And don't feel as if somehow your a, a degree is the ticket to success. That's really the point of that one particular chapter. To your point, you know, everybody's going to college now. Well, we, it's that way because we've built this system that we've made people we get a college degree and you'll be successful. And, what, and, and as this book says, not taught the, what it takes to be successful in the 21st century. I didn't create the cop chapter that says screw your degree so you don't go to college. I built it to get you to stop thinking that if you go to college – that's the golden ticket like it used to be. Or that you have to go to college to be successful. Go do an internship. Go start your own business. You know, take edX. Do, get real life experiences. Stay committed and focused to deliberate learning, which is a different chapter in here, and learn it that way. And you could be just as successful as someone who went to some Ivy League school for eight years or even more successful. Because every year we move deeper into the 21st century, people are putting less and less and less weight on that piece of paper and more and more weight on what the hell did you know and what do you know, how do, what do you know what to do with what you know? Exactly. Exactly. Because it plays into you sort of talk about this kind of, you're not sort of, you do address this concept head on about you know, your education and what you choose to learn is part of building this brand of you. Right, yes. mm-hmm. you know, building this this person, mm-hmm. and so now what you're saying is, hey, the constraints have sort of been thrown off. You know, you don't have to go to four year college and follow a strict curriculum or whatever is is, but you could. But if you are, is what is the purpose of it, right? Because mm-hmm. it gets back to this thing about again about deliberate learning. It's instead of, gosh, I just want to be a you know fuzzy studies major like I was. Well, for me, actually, when I look back on it, having read your book, and I was looking back, I said. Actually, I did have sort of a purpose. You know, I wasn't there being a history major just because <laughs> I couldn't decide to do anything else. But I really enjoyed sort of the critical analysis, the critical thinking skills that came from that major. And that, that's what I wanted to develop. Perfect. And there you go. If the conscious decision, I want to develop these critical thinking skills, and you come to the conclusion that says college is the way to do that, then by all means go. But if it's not, you say, I want to learn that. I want to go work for a startup, and I want to work 80 hours uh, a week underneath the CEO and learn them that way and try to solve real world problems, then go do it. You are in no less of a place. If you said to yourself, I want to go live by myself and I want to learn what it takes to take care of myself, I'm going to cut myself up with my parents, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to do it all myself, and then go do it, right? The key is to leverage those experiences into something bigger over time and to let go of the idea, completely let go of the idea that you have to have this piece of paper in order to be successful. 
It's just not true. But there are two sides to this equation, though. So the other side of the equation is all these employers out there that still think this degree is important. So, so how are they going to evolve? Because, yeah, Google may be more highly evolved in the way that they hire you know, people, right? I mean, their hiring practices are, I think we could say, are more evolved, right, in terms of how they test people and so on. So what's happening on the employer side? Are they inevitably all going to change in the same way? Over time, they will. Yeah, you'll have your laggards, right? There are still some who just cling to that for dear life. But what they're going to start to see is they're going to see more and more people who can get the job done that are excellent at what they do that don't have the degree. And they're going to realize that they're at a complete disadvantage because they're not hiring those. As a matter of fact, Deloitte and Touche just came out. And they just said that they're changing their hiring approach and they're no longer requiring a degree or, or a certain GPA. I can't remember which it was, right? So they're no longer requiring a certain GPA or a degree because they've just recognized it doesn't correlate to success either. Like this is a snowball starting to build, right? And in organization, everybody's realizing that GPA and degree do not correlate to success in a job. Well, I think it's starting even earlier, right? Because now you're getting the trend among colleges. I was just reading an article last week about this where an increasing number of colleges are now saying, well, these standardized tests, they don't mean a thing, right? So we're not going to require SAT and ACT for kids to get into school because we haven't really found that correlation of success overall. There you go. There you go. So, you know, we're spending a lot of time on the screen degree, and it's, it's an interesting one because it upsets people and it fires them up. Um, but the, all the chapters of the book, they come together, right? They're all <laughs> yeah. linked. All right. We won't spend all of our time on this. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break right now. We'll be back after the break with my guest, Jim Keenan. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time selling interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? You're going to text us, send a text to 96000. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now, enter the single word message TRUST and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there. So welcome back. We're talking to Jim Keenan today about his brand new book, a really good book that everybody, it's not a long book. I mean, people could spend a couple hours with this and work through it and gain so much value from it. It's called Not Taught, new sort of, as I say, the, the new playbook for success in the 21st century. And success, not just saying a monetary success or financial success, it, it's success is more broadly defined, right? I mean, happiness in work as well as out of work. 
It, well, it's really it, what I like to look at is, is a, how to create opportunity. When I wrote this book, I was asked to, to speak to some students at the University of Denver. And I asked, well, what do you want me to say? And he said, well, what would you tell these kids who are just graduating? I said, all right, let me think about this for a second. So I sat down and I asked myself, what would I tell all these kids coming out? And I processed what I've been through, what I've seen, et cetera. And I came up with 12 of these chapters. And when I gave it, the response was overwhelming. And I spent more time thinking. I was like, wait a minute. A lot of these fly in the face of what these kids have been being told. And, but they're true. And so I said, if I can help people, so I said, I'm going to write the book. And if I can help people understand, but that by embracing the, all of these unique things, that it'll create opportunity. It's not going to make them successful, but it's going to create opportunity. And is that not what success is? The more opportunity that you can create, the more successful you will be. So that's what this is about. And I think that's part and parcel of this information age is what the access to information does is it levels the playing field in terms of access to opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and, and the other part was to change people's mindset. Right. I think in order to be successful, we have to change people's mindset. So, you know, like if you look at the chapter like change, right? I break down change. And I don't know if you remember this chapter, but I break change down change in three ways. Is there are change resistors, there are change acceptors, and there are change creators. Now, again, the premise of the book is, is that we are moving from the industrial age to the information age. Well, in little things that some people don't even think about in their day-to-day life that could be preventing them from getting where they want is something like change. How many times have you worked with clients, Andy, in organizations where you have massive amounts of people who who just resist change? They won't change. But here's the interesting piece. Unlike the industrial age, where those people were prized and revealed because the industrial age was about repetitive workforce. It was about um, efficiency and effectiveness. And it was about following, you know, set plans and, and, and processes. Those who didn't change were much were considered, hey, don't rock the boat. They were prized. In the new information age, those people are in the way. Things are happening too fast. When you have billion, with a B, dollar companies growing in less than two years, where before in the industrial age, I think the fastest to a billion was something like 16 years or some ridiculous number like that. Things are changing so fast. When you have companies like... Um, BlackBerry that are born in 2000 and then dead in 2011 or 12 and they go up to like several billion and all the way back down to nothing, the world is changing too fast. And companies and employers and customers and clients cannot tolerate and will not tolerate change resistors and they'll barely tolerate change acceptors now. If you want to be successful in the 21st century, you have to be a change creator and that's a different mindset. People don't understand that they're moving through life thinking it's perfectly fine to do what they're doing. And it's not okay. We we need change creators. So if you want to be successful today, you've got to create change, not just accept it. So give examples of the characteristics of a change creator and what they would do to create change. So perfect example. You look for opportunities. Let's say you're in a job and you're looking for opportunities. You're like, hey, wait a minute. We could do this better, right? I think this process could be better. So I'm going to introduce a way to change this process to make it more effective. Not just do it because that's the way you've always done it. Not just keep going the way you've always gone and not just saying, well, Tommy came up with the ass. So I, I like Tommy's, I'm behind it. But say, hey, wait a minute, I see ways to make this better. I see ways that we can improve on this or introducing a new product or whatever. It's literally looking at your environment and saying, how do I make it better? How can I change it for improvement? Change it for competitive advantage? Change it for efficiency? How do I do that? So 
part of that whole equation of, of change, though, is that then people have to be able to persuade and convince and show the value and the change that they're, they're creating or proposing to create. Yes, and that's what we have a chapter called, <laughs> very good segue, learn how to sell. Exactly. So what are the keys? I mean, this is sort of, you know, Daniel Pink talked about in his book, To Sell as Human, is the fact that, what, three-quarters of white-collar workers identify that at some point in their work, part of their responsibility is convincing or persuading other people to fall in line to what they're doing. Yes, yes. And so, again, in the industrial age, selling was meant for salespeople, and we didn't have the best reputation. We started as cajoling. People started as manipulation. People. Hey, don't, don't put that in the past tense. <laughs> that right? still exists, right? <laughs> truth. Good point. Good point. But the truth of the matter is selling is, as you just described, really about the ability to influence people. And more importantly, selling is about being able to introduce people to additional value and helping them understand and embrace that value as a benefit to them. Right? And so if you can't sell in the 21st century, you're dead you're dead in the water because because things are changing so quickly and because you have to be a change uh, creator and because you have to be able to create reach, which is another chapter in here, because you have to be able to sell people on who you are and the value you bring, you have to understand how to create value and demonstrate that value. In, um, uh, Artic- help- well, art- articulate it, right? I mean, I th- yes. And I think that's, that's really sort of a key thing is, you know, you talk about everybody needs to learn how to sell. And I think that's, sort of the same idea I said that came from Pink's book is that, you know, selling is just not about pushing a product. In an information age, we're selling ideas. Yes. And constantly selling ideas, right? So how you develop the expertise to be able to do that, and again, expertise may be too strong a word, but it's sort of appropriate, is that we all have to become much more comfortable with this idea of persuading people about our ideas to affect change. Yeah, and what's the truth? Yes, we do. But I would rather say than persuading people, and I would almost like to say helping provide and create value, right? So, you know, in, in the story, I mean, in the book, I talk about this idea of can you first understand or find a problem, right? So when I talk about selling, the first thing I say is a problem has to exist, right? And how good are you at finding problems and identifying problems, which ties back to the, the chapter about thinking, Mm-hmm. Right. If you if you're not constantly thinking at a higher level than everybody else, and that was a tough chapter to write because everybody thinks they thinks they think, but very few people actually think. But if you if you have the ability to be thinking through processes and thinking through the end objectives and goals, you should be able to identify problems. And once you identify problems, then you can start thinking, well, what, what, how can I solve this problem? Right. Then you have to be able to demonstrate how to tell a story to someone to solve the problem for themselves, right? So it's first, can I, so selling it, as I describe in this book, isn't about selling a, going out and selling a product as a career. It's about saying, look, I have the ability to identify a problem you have here, boss, or you have here, Mr. or Mrs. Client. And guess what? I've created a solution to make it better. I've, I have a new process change. I have a new product I think we should sell. Uh, I have a new structure, right? A new org chart that I think would make it better. And then finally, how can I tell a story so that you can understand that this, what I'm offering isn't about me, it's about you, and it's about our organization, it's about our shared objective, it's about our shared goal, and by doing this, we'll all be better off. And so I break it down in, that, in those sections so non-sellers can see, I'm not telling you go out and learn how to pitch shit, I'm telling you, I'm teaching you how to position yourself 
as somebody who can deliver change and delivering change is through the art of selling. Yeah, no, I think it's a great, a great concept for people to, to conceptualize and think about is that, you know, if we look at the global economy, let's say today, is that, you know, part of the reason that we see competitors, an increase in number of competitors in so many different market segments is that the information age has basically empowered people to compete much more easily, right? The barriers to entry to so many markets have gone down because of this access to the internet and the information and so on. Well, the same thing is true within organizations. The barriers to change are much lower than they were before. And Absolutely. so and so if you're somebody that is a change creator and you're constantly thinking about ways that change can be brought to bear in a way to improve the organization or the team or the efficiency, productivity, whichever dimension, mm-hmm. is it's going to be easier to implement and the rewards are going to be there for you from a career standpoint, success standpoint. Look, absolutely, because one of the, the threads through this entire book is success is driven by value. The value you can create and the value that can be seen. Too much of the world doesn't create value but are seen, and too other many people can create value but are not seen. And until you can thread the two together in today's new world, you are not going to make it. How many times have you met somebody who said, oh, I had this really cool idea for my company, but I just didn't really tell anybody? Well, guess what? The company didn't benefit. Maybe someone else did. And that person didn't reach their maximum potential because they just sat on the sidelines. Well, that's not going to be okay in the future. You just you won't advance. You won't get promoted. You won't get new jobs. You won't be able to compete. I mean, here's a great example. One of the questions that I, that I ask all the time of our recruit, we have a recruiting firm is tell me something you created. Literally. Oh, you've been doing this for 15 years. Fantastic. Tell me something you've created. Tell me a sales process you've created. Tell me a, a product you could tell me you've created something. Please don't tell me all you've done is just do what you're told and follow the compass. Yeah. No, great question. And so what are the answers you get typically? Almost no one's ever created anything. <laughs> Hence the reason for the book, right? Yeah, hence the reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that that my perspective perspective is that that you know things the business environment is just so much more fluid these days, and in so many ways, as you've talked about, is that it's an opportunity for more people to contribute than they think they have the ability to contribute. Mm-hmm. I mean, access to information flows both ways; it goes up the hierarchy and down down the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So, people really need. I think. And I think this sort of gets a little bit to I serve and I'll, and I'll make the analogy to excuse me is uh, you know when somebody writes something you write a book you know there's always this moment before and I've written books you know or written blog posts there's always that moment where we hesitate before we hit enter to like publish the blog post because we're wondering you know somebody gonna think I'm an idiot <laughs> right somebody gonna think I'm an idiot but you know, look at our lives everybody's publishing these days. So this is the thing that gets me is that, you know, people sort of say, well, nah, I could never be, I could never be out there about that. But then I say, well, look at all these things you're sharing on Facebook or on LinkedIn or whatever. And you're sharing, you're, you're putting your opinion out there already. Mm-hmm. Why not make it yours? Mm-hmm. And capitalize on it. Yes. Yes. I mean, look, one of the things I talk about in the book, it's a great segue. I have a, a chapter called Create Content, right? And one of the things that I talk about is, and I talk about this in the reach chapter as well, the idea that we have to create reach. The gatekeepers are gone. And this isn't a new concept to those of us in, you know, those in social media, those of us in following this, but to the average person, they've never thought about it before, right? The idea that, that in order to get some sort of exposure, in order to get people to follow you, in order to create influence, you had to get someone to give you permission. You had to get an agent. You had to get um, a publisher. You had to get 
a new station, like you had to get, somebody had to give you access, give you permission. So 15, 20 years ago, with this book I've written, I would have had, I would have written it and I would have had to send it to all these agents and they would say whether or not it was worth it, right? I don't need them. I'm self-posting this book and in just, the, it's not even, it's not even out yet. And I've already got people signing up to buy it. I've already got people on the Facebook page reading, um, reading chapters or, or asking for a pre-copy talking about it. People already, like you read it, you're like, oh, I want to give this to my kid, right? I don't need, we don't need these gatekeepers anymore. And what I want people to understand is that is an amazingly open and freeing environment that is creating massive amounts of opportunity. People are making hundreds of thousands and millions and tens of millions of dollars leveraging the openness of this new world that never would have existed before. People like Lauren Luke, who I talk about in the book, who was a, a chubby little girl. I mean, it's a great story. She was a chubby little girl in England. She was, she was a single mother. She barely got out of high school. She was working as a taxi dispatch, barely making ends meet. And what did she do? She went and created a little makeup line and put on, created YouTube videos on, on what it looks like and how to apply it. And now she's a multimillionaire with her own brand in Sephora. Well, that was impossible 20 years ago. Well, and the other thing, though, that you know, people have to keep in mind is that, that the gatekeepers thing, again, it's a, like every other thing we talk about, it works both ways. It's the people that make decisions that before there used to be gatekeepers to get to them, a lot of those gatekeepers are gone as well. So that access to information, not only do you not have to have the gatekeepers that prevent you from creating and publishing, but the people that you need to have here and read what you're saying and talking about, there aren't as many gatekeepers between the information and them as there used to be. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, I mean, we've heard a lot. I hate saying it. I don't, I don't think I said it in the book, but it's true. It's, a, it's democratized, right? It's a much, more, much more of a meritocracy now. The average person gets to decide. It's like the long tail. I do talk about the long tail. It's, I don't need to sell a million books for this to be successful. If I sell 10,000, that's a win for me. If I sell 5,000, that's a win for me. And not because it's a win because I made any money, but it's a win because it's 5,000 people who read this and saw this that never would have seen it if I had to go through the old approaches. And that's 5,000 people who are talking about me. That's 5,000 people who are sharing, sharing my ideas, right? That is value. That's reach. My reach has been extended by 5,000 people. I can leverage that, right? So everything has changed, and people have to understand that they need to get out there and leverage it. And it comes down to, you know, we're talking these pie in the skies of people who, who, who make a makeup line or something. But let me bring it home in another way. I talk about reach. And, and I say that in the 21st century, if you can't reach more hundreds, if not thousands of people, and more than the 10 or 15 and the 10s that we used to back in the day with our little Rolodex and our neighbors and our buddy at the racket club, you're smoke, you're toast. Because the only people that were getting jobs back when the, when the uh, recession hit was those who actually had connections, right? And so if you only know a handful of people, you're doomed. But imagine you know thousands because they read your blog. You know thousands because they follow you on Twitter. You know thousands because they, um, they connect with you on Facebook. Your ability to ask for things, your ability to connect with them, to look for direction is exponential, we don't even recognize it. I saw a woman say today she needed something. What did she say on Facebook? She said, um, uh, I, what did she ask for? She asked for uh, something random, like a contractor or something. And I thought to myself, that's reach. right? It wasn't for her personally, you know, for her career, but that was reach. And if she, she had a million followers, she would have got exponentially more uh, responses than if she had five followers. And so 
today allows you to do that. So those people who, who, who go to LinkedIn when they need a job and they've only got 20, 50, 60, 100 connections and they're running around sending all these notes saying, hey, I've been let go. Do you know anybody? Do you know anybody? Shame on them. The platform has been there for years and they ignored it. Had they been working that platform and had 500,000, 5,000 followers, whatever, or connections, when they asked for it, people would have jumped on it. The minute they click no longer at, people would be reaching out to them. Yep, absolutely. Well, good. Now, Jim, we're going we're gonna to take another pause here because we're going to end this as part one of our conversation about your new book, great new book, Not Taught. And for everybody that's listening, we're going to be back very shortly with part two of this conversation about Jim's book, Not Taught. Jim, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.